There's an old story about some wild geese that are flying south for the winter. Maybe you've heard the story, you're familiar with it. It's more of a parable than, than, than a reality. The geese, they fly over the farmer's pond, and there's some other birds that are on that uh, pond. And so one of the geese decides to break away um, from her group and join the ones that are sitting on the pond. Um, and she thinks, after all, why take all that time to fly south? <laughs> why not just stay here, enjoy the, the farmer's uh, food, and, and then I'll join my friends when they come back uh, flying north, uh, you know, after the, the winter. So she stays. She stays in that pond for the winter. Later that spring, when her friends are flying by, heading north again, she decides, well, <laughs> why not stay for one more season? That was, that was pretty nice. Um, why not stay on, the, on this pond and just enjoy the, the farmer's food? She was sure that she would join um, you know, her, her friends once again when they would fly south in the fall. But next fall, when her friends came flying by, um, Heading south, she heard the wild call that she once had known. Um, and all she could do was flutter a, a feeble response. Her urge to fly, to take her place in the sky for which God had made her, her urge that was calling her, she quickly realized, well, <laughs> she couldn't fly anymore. So she stayed on that pond. You say, well, why do you tell us that, that parable? Why do you, why do you tell us that, that, that story this morning? And, and I would say, the reason why is because one of my greatest fears is that that same thing would happen to, to us, individually, to us as a, as a church body. That we would lose our focus on where God wants to take us, where God has, has called us, what God wants to do in us, and we're just, you know, become satisfied with settling down and... Uh, uh, sitting and being comfortable on that pond. <laughs> That's why here in the fall, I'm highlighting what we call here at First Free our extraordinary norms. Now, we have an extraordinary norm in our midst here. Norm, raise your hand. If you see him, he has a name tag. It says extraordinary norm. He, he, he kind of caught the sense of humor there, and I appreciate that. But that's not what we're talking about. As extraordinary as norm is, uh, you know, um, when we talk about extraordinary norms here at First Free, um, what we're talking about is um, that we believe that if we all, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are living Christ-centered and Christ-sent lives, then what is normal for us ought to be different than what is normal in the world. In that sense, it, it, it ought to be extraordinary as the world looks at us. Now understand that these extraordinary norms are not, um, are not exclusively for those who you might consider to be the super saints among us, okay? Um, because in, in truth, there are not different levels of Christian life. So these extraordinary norms are for all of us. They're extraordinary because <laughs> we don't see these out in the world. 
and their norms because they're expected, the expected standard for um, all Christ-centered and Christ-sent disciples. So let me begin just by making sure that you hear once again what these five extraordinary norms are that we have here at First Free. First one is simply this. Every believer should be growing in their ability to reflect the character and priorities of Jesus Christ. Now, I talked about this uh, last week, um, um, and I left you with a question at the end of the sermon last week was, was simply this. Have you made your decision to make Christ not only your Lord, but also your teacher? Um, not only your Savior, but, but, but your King. Um, have you made that decision? That is to pursue growth, pursue his priorities, pursue his character in your life. Second um, uh, norm is this, extraordinary norm is every believer should be building relationships that feel like family with other believers. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. That's going to be our focus this morning. Third, every believer should be shaped by God's story and share it with others. Fourth, Every believer should be recognizing and responding to the needs of others in tangible ways. And the last one is simply this. Every believer should be living life as a residential missionary. See, our desire is that these five characteristics, they become normal <laughs> around here at, at First Free. That we're all living these these out. We want everyone to be moving in this direction. We know they're not all accomplished and everyone's at the same place, but we want everyone moving in the same direction. We don't want anyone just to settle down on that pond. Over the 20 years that I've been here as senior pastor at First Free, there are several themes I hope that you have heard um, over and over again in my preaching. One of them, of course, is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. I will hope that you've heard that uh, not just once but over and over and over again um, in our preaching, in, in my sermons over the, the 20 years. Another um, theme that I hope that you've heard is the fact that we're not supposed to stop, you know, uh, after we cross that line of salvation, but that we're always to be growing uh, in the image of Christ. I mean, it's been our stated goal this past year here at First Free that um, uh, Christ is formed in each person here at, at, at First Free, that Christ is formed in your life. A third theme has uh, been the need for us, if we are uh, having Christ formed in us, to be intentional about cultivating friendships with a handful of other Christ followers with whom we can walk through life. It's why one of our extraordinary norms, <laughs> the second one uh, that we stated this morning, is that every Christ follower is building relationships that feel like family with other Christ followers. 
Now listen, when I talk about cultivating friendships, I'm not talking about merely attending a worship service like this, okay? I mean, the level of connection you need cannot happen in this room. Nor are worship services designed principally um, for friendship building. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, you could be courteous, you could be friendly to 100 people or 200 people, uh, but you cannot share your heart. You, you can't share your, your life. You can't share your, your burdens with that many people. And I'm also not talking, when I'm talking about this whole idea, I'm not talking about anything that looks like a social club, okay? There's a place for social clubs, for Iquanas and Rotaries and other civic groups. Um, um, all those groups and all those organizations, they're helpful. They're good. Um, but they will not serve uh, to create the deep relationships that I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about nurturing deep friendships with a handful of other Christ followers who push you towards a greater Christ-likeness, who know both the good and, and, and bad about you and whose love is not contingent upon either one of those. And who can call, you might be able to call at 2 o'clock in the morning if you're in the middle of a crisis. That's the kind of deep friendships I'm talking about. So let me give you four reasons, okay? Simply four reasons why I'm calling you, calling all of us to pursue that kind of relationship. First, because deep friendship is God's plan. The reason, uh, th this reason is, is, uh, emerges from the truth that God is continuously in community. You realize that? God is continuously in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, God is one, and he's also uh, three persons. So God, understand this, God's never been lonely. He has eternally existed in friendship of himself. And you and I have been created in God's image, right? We have been created as relational beings um, to be in community, Back in April of 1992, a college-educated young man from a well-to-do family hitchhiked into Alaska, and then he walked alone into the wilderness north of Mount McKinley. His given name was Christopher Johnson McCandless, although he was at that point in time going by the name of uh, a made-up name by, uh, named Alexander Supertramp. He'd given $25,000 in savings to charity. Um, he had abandoned his car and most of his other possessions, and he'd burned all the cash that he had in his wallet. Four months after he walked into the wild, he was found dead from starvation. Some of the things that McCandless took into the wild were a few of his favorite books. Apparently, the last book that he, he read was um, Dr. Shivago. Uh, a book that incited him to um, scribble excited notes in the margins and underline several passages. One of the most revealing notations he made in that book was simply this, happiness only real when shared. Happiness only real when shared. 
Apparently, McCandless had learned an important lesson near the end of his solitary life. He was ready to abandon his lonely vagabond days and stop running so hard from intimacy. And apparently, he was ready now to become a member of the human community. I realize, I think that's an important lesson for all of us. God has created us for a community. In our American society, we have been um, sold this bill of goods. We, it, people have told us that happiness is a result of independence, you know, um, financial independence and relational independence and emotional independence. If I'm completely independent, we say, then, then, then you're, you, you have freedom. And, and if you have freedom, then that's when you'll be the happiest. And yet we live in a world, don't you think? We live in a world where we have never had so many unhappy people. Why? Because independence is not the answer. The truth is happiness, it doesn't come from independent, isolated existence, nor does it come from um, living your life with all the, the barriers up and, and the masks put on and keeping people just at an arm's distance. Happiness comes from interdependence. It comes from uh, deep friendships. It comes from community. Or as Chris McCandless wrote, happiness only real when shared. We see this idea, don't we, in the early church? As the church began in Acts chapter 2, Scripture says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. I mean, the believers in the early church, they were devoted to one another. <laughs> That's God's plan. It's why throughout the New Testament, there are directions given to us on how we are to interact with each other. I mean, think about this. This is just a partial list. We are to, live, uh, we are to love one another encourage one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, be at peace with one another, wash one another's feet, respect one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, and be hospitable towards one another. Just a partial list. And every one of those are commands. They're, they're not requests, understand that? They are commands requiring that we uh, be in relationship with one another. You can't follow those commands unless you're in community. In fact, it's assumed on just about every page of the Bible that we are in community. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Our Father. Right? Not my father, but our father. When we come to faith, the Bible tells us that we are adopted into the family of God and we become then brothers and sisters in Christ. Deep friendship with a few other believers, that is expected. You and I, we were created for community, it's God's plan. Second reason, I need others to walk with me. 
In other words, I need people to help me grow spiritually. The Bible says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says this, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And the Bible oftentimes um, uh, calls your spiritual life a walk, right? Why? Because life is <laughs> not just a sit-down thing. Life is a journey. Um, you're always growing. You're always moving. There is a destination to, 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 go, to get to, to go towards. Um, and the Bible says that as, as you walk through life, God wants you to do certain things. He says we are to walk in the light. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in obedience. We're to walk in the Holy Spirit. We're to walk as Jesus walked. We're to walk in, in, in wisdom. I mean, many, many ways. The Bible tells us how to live this kind of life. And one of the important things is this. God never intended for you to walk this life through this life alone. Never. When Bible tells us that uh, while the Bible tells us that you can have a, a, a personal faith, you're to have a personal faith, it, it never tells us that you're to have an individual faith. There's a difference. This journey was never meant to be a solo act. And let me clarify, this has nothing to do with whether or not you're single or you're married. I mean, you can be single and be in community, have those deep friendships, and you can be married and you can be desperately lonely. So marriage is not the antidote. Community is the antidote. That's why in Hebrews 10, the writer says this, let us not give up the habit. That means, you know, all the time, you do it all the time, the habit. Let's not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. I need people to encourage me in my daily walk. And you say, well, how do, uh, uh, how do you do that? By meeting together in community. <laughs> By finding and developing deep friendships that have a family feel to them. See, God's answer to loneliness is community. We all need a few people in our lives that know us really well and, and um, um, we know them really well. And we all need a place, a group, a few friends where we can practice relationships and, and where we can really learn to love. I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? Ephesians 4 says, as each part does its work, as each part, he's talking about the body of Christ, that's us, the body of Christ, it helps the other parts grow. So Christ's whole body, that's us, the church, <laughs> is healthy and growing and full of love. That's what God wants. That's the goal. He wants us all to grow, and he wants us all to be full of love. You do that in community, together. We choose to get connected. We decide to reach out, and we decide to cultivate those deep friendships. Reason number one, deep friendship is God's plan. Reason number two, I need others to walk with me. Let me give you a reason number three. I need others to watch out for me. I need to cultivate a community because one day, listen, my life isn't going to work <laughs> and neither is yours. 
My life will eventually unravel, and there's going to be times in your life that the same thing's going to happen. I mean, many people, they, they work so hard to have enough money to survive the loss of a job or, or, or the onset of an illness, and, and that's good. But you don't need just money. You need friends. You need emotional and spiritual support. You need someone you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning to talk, help talk you off the ledge. <laughs> it used to be that our extended family played that role. But these days, so many of us no longer live close to our extended families. It used to be that work colleagues were oftentimes in that position to know us so well, but many of us now, I mean, they change jobs so often that we're not nearly as close to our colleagues as we used to be. So we have to be more intentional about cultivating community than we have in the past. In fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, starting in um, verse 21. It says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Did you catch that? Catch the end? We need to be concerned for each other. In fact, this mutual care that Paul uh, talks about, it's so intrinsic to the body of Christ that God composed the body for this. That's what it means when, in verse 24 when Paul says, but God combined the members of the body. The basic point is that God has mixed the parts of the body together just as though he were mixing colors in the sky in order to produce a, a beautiful mural of mutual support and interdependence. See, I need people who will defend me, who will protect me, who will stand up for me when I need somebody to stand up for me, who will help me to stay on track, who will warn me. I need people to watch out for me. You do too. Philippians 2.4 says this, look out for one's, uh, one another's interests, not just for your own. Listen, maybe you're like us and, and, and you uh, went on vacation this past summer. You're gone for maybe a week, maybe two weeks. Maybe you're just gone up north to a cabin or whatever, and uh, you're gone. But what you probably did was something like what we did. You, you went to your neighbors and said, listen, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, would you watch my house? Would you make sure there's no emergencies and just make sure maybe my, my yard gets watered? Why? Why do we do that? Because we want all of our stuff looked after, don't we? Well, let me ask you something. Do you have anybody that's looking out for your soul? Because your soul is more important than your stuff. Is there anybody who's helping you out in your spiritual journey? 
Who's watching out for you? To make sure that you're still growing. <laughs> to make sure that you're not getting discouraged and depressed and, and feel like giving up. To make sure you're still on track <laughs> on this journey. Six, day, six days before he died, Chris McCandless, or Alexander Supertramp, uh, dragged himself out of that old abandoned bus, his home, during the 100 days that he had spent there in the Alaska, uh, Alaskan wild. He needed food. And so he headed out to forage uh, for berries. Behind him, he, he posted a plea for assistance in the unlikely event that someone, someone, unlikely as it was, someone might wander through and, and see his bus and stop while he was away. Writing in meticulous block letters, his note read this, SOS, I need help. I'm injured, near death, too weak to hike out of here. I'm all alone. This is, and in bold letters, no joke. In the name of God, please remain to save me. I'm out collecting berries close by and shall return this evening. Thank you. When you're alone in the wild or in life, your room for air is much smaller. But when you're in community, see, you have other people who are watching out for you. Community is God's answer to defeat. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Do you have friendships with deep friendships with three other Christ followers here at First Free? That's why you need to get connected. That's why you need to get into a small group and build relationships that have a, have a family feel to them because you watch out for one another. They'll watch out for you. Reason number four, I need others to wait and weep with me. What does that mean? It means I need people who are going to be there in the inevitable crisis of life when I'm waiting for the bad news or when I'm weeping after I've received the bad news, I need people in my life. Listen, as your pastor, I know this one deeply because I see people in this body waiting and, and, and weeping with others all the time. I gotta tell you, our faith community nurses are extraordinary. They do an a wonderful job in this whole area. And those of you who have been there, you understand that. You know this truth. There are situations, see, in life that nobody should have to go through alone. Nobody should ever have to sit alone in a hospital waiting during a life and death surgery. No one should ever have to sit in, in the home waiting for the coroner to identify the body of a loved one who just had a heart attack. No one should ever stand at an open grave all by themselves. 
And no man or woman should have to be alone after the wife or the husband has walked out and left the marriage. We're not meant to face crises in life all alone. God says that there's a safety net he planned for your life. It's a group of believers who are committed to you. Listen again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Community is God's answer to despair. You party together when people have a celebration and you weep together when they're going through a tough time. Now, (laughs) I've made a case for community this morning. I believe it's essential for us as Christ followers if we have Christ formed in us to all of us be in community. But let me briefly tell you why you may choose to avoid it. First, you may avoid these kinds of friends, uh, friendships, because, well, frankly, it will take time. Friendships are not very efficient. Have you discovered that? (laughs) You'll not get what you're after here without taking some time and making some effort. There is cost, and you may decide that that cost, well, that's just too high. I talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me and be one of my disciples, you're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to decide, is it worth the cost to follow Christ? Is it worth the cost? And one of those costs is is it's going to take an effort. It's going to take time to nurture deep friendships with a handful of other Christ followers. It doesn't happen instantaneously, overnight, One of the reasons you might choose to avoid doing this, seeking out community and seeking out these deep friendships is because, frankly, because of the cost. You say, for me, that cost is too high. Another reason is because you may be scared of being known. (laughs) You may think that if people really knew you, you you know what, Uh, they would just walk away. It's too scary to risk opening up your life and taking the mask off and letting people see who you are. See your strengths and your weaknesses. But listen, that's where grace comes in. I gotta tell you, that's what's so amazing about the way God has set this thing up. I understand that fear, but I'm here to tell you that there's freedom on the other side. (laughs) Third, you might feel like, well, hey, I'm doing okay. So I really don't need any deep friendships. And if that's the case, I got to tell you, frankly, I I must not have done a good enough job making the case this morning, making the case that it's important for you to invest in deep friendships. I didn't do a good enough job communicating that finding these friendships and and, and getting connected is absolutely essential if you want to have Christ formed in you. Fourth, um, you'd rather watch TV (laughs) than uh, work on friendships. I mean, it's easier, right, to watch TV. TV is designed to entertain you. Getting involved in people's lives, 
Well, that can be difficult. The idea of being close to people can be more attractive than the actual you know, practice of it. John Steinbeck once said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he was lonely because he liked people better in his mind than he did in person. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can relate. Maybe for you, it seems like a great idea, uh, you know, on paper or in a sermon. But, man, in reality, it can be difficult. A challenge. I'd just rather watch TV. <laughs> Fifth, you might not know how to build friendships. You don't know where to start. And I understand that, but I can tell you right now that you can start here. At first free. So as your pastor, I want to strongly encourage you um, to, to join a small group, to get connected, take that next step. Be more intentional about living your life in the company of friends because as growing disciples, God has created you and me to connect with other believers. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for good friends. Thank you for community. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the family of God you have given us here at First Free. God, I pray for each person that is here this morning, listening maybe online, those that might feel lonely, those that feel like, well, we're just, I'm just not connected might you encourage them today? Might you bring a person into their life? My, Lord, might you give us all the courage to step out and to reach out and to take that step of, of, of developing friendships, deep friendships. Might each person here feel not only welcome, but might they feel known we pray that, that you would work in us for that purpose, in your son's precious name, amen.